satisfy your literary cravings. Welcome to the Bookworm Banquet Show with your hosts, J.D. and Nicole. Well, hey there, Bookworm. Thank you so much for tuning in. Just a quick reminder that show notes for this episode can be found at bookwormbanquet.com slash 23. Well, we've got another little mini sampler platter episode today and a indie spotlight edition here of a short story. So that's why we said we're going to go ahead and mix this in with a, a couple of appetizer uh, articles for you today. And Nicole, as always, has a, a fact. This one is about pseudonyms, which I've always found interesting. So we're going to find out what that's all about. And I've got a tip about an online shop for bookworms. Hey, no pun today, Nicole. I'm sorry. I couldn't couldn't think of one for this one. I'm slightly disappointed. I tried to do a pun for my bookworm fact, but it didn't go over so well. <laughs> so we're down to pseudonyms and online shops. We're real interesting today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, why don't you kick things off? What What is your appetizer today? I believe that readers have a list of rules. As bookworms... We have this concept that there are right ways to read and wrong ways to read. Like if you are a serious bookworm, then there are some things you do and some things you don't do. Am I right? Yeah. You do not go to the end of the book and find out how it turns out before you start. (laughs) We all know that person. We all know that person that gets a couple pages and then decides, I need to know how this ends, goes to the end of the book and reads it. And that's a no-no for a bookworm, right? At least for this bookworm. Well, for all serious bookworms. So... I found a very interesting article this weekend. There's a blog I like to read occasionally called The Modern Mrs. Darcy. Yes, Mrs. Darcy from obviously Pride and Prejudice. And she had an article posted called The Single Best Thing You Can Do for Your Reading Life. So it caught my attention. Why would I not want to know what's the best thing I can do for my reading life? Yeah. And then I read it. And at first I was shocked and appalled. And then it started to make sense to me. Do you want to take a guess at what the best thing you can do for your reading life is? Read slower and take breaks (laughs) in between books. (laughs) Well, for those of us that read books back to back to back, yeah, that's probably not a bad idea. But she actually said that the best thing you can do is to remember you don't have to finish every book you start. Ooh, that's a tough one for me because I am... It's just part of my personality. Like once I start something, I feel really bad to not finish it. Okay, I'm with you almost 100%. For me, reading sometimes is like an endurance challenge. Like I will start a book and be like, no, I'm going to finish this. I want to be able to say that I read this book and that I finished it and I will labor to get through that book. So reading her remark here made me very interested as to why she would say this. And then I started reading and it started making sense. So you tell me if you agree with her philosophy behind why you don't have to finish every book. I have heard some people say that I only have so much time and I don't want to waste it on a subpar book or one that is not keeping my interest just to say that I have completed it. So, And she does kind of bring up that point. So her first one is you don't get that time back. And she's right. She said, when you spend your time reading books that aren't worth it, you do so at the expense of all the other books you could be reading. Mm-hmm. So her second point is Reading becomes drudgery. When you're in the middle of a book you're not finding worthwhile, you don't look forward to reading time. This can be disastrous for young readers. Mm. You know, they say that everybody's a reader. You just haven't found the right book. Yeah, I've often heard heard that. And so I think that sometimes when you are a reader and you find the wrong book again, it can become more of a task than a pleasure. That makes a lot of sense. So number three, she says, your reading life grinds to a halt. 
Worst case scenario, when you're reading a book you don't enjoy, you don't want to keep reading, so you don't read at all. Because some of us have reader's guilt, and we won't move on to the next book until we finish that book. And if it's a book you're not enjoying, mm. you're just going to quit reading altogether. Yeah. For years, I was one of those that read one book at a time. Lately, for the last uh, handful of years, I've totally switched that up, and I'm reading anywhere from three to five books at the same time. Same. I'm one of those book in the bedroom, book in the living room, book on audio, whatever book I'm reading, you know, it's consistent cycle of books. So she concludes her article by saying it frees her to read the right books at the right time. And I thought that was very interesting because um, a lot of times, you know, she makes this comment. She had a strange streak last year where she kept reading new books on airplanes, only to realize there was a plane crash in the first 20 pages. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that might not have been the right book at the right time. But, you know, you have those books that I've done that before, been in the airport, picked up a book I would never pick up again, but it kept my attention for the duration of the flight, yeah. and then I was done with it. You know, so finding the right book at the right time is important. She says, it frees me to acknowledge I chose poorly and move on. We've all read a book. We're like, wow, I really wish I hadn't wasted my time on that. Yeah. And it frees her to take chances on new books. If you're not wasting all your time in books that you're just not enjoying, then put them down and take a chance on a new book. I think that's pretty solid advice. Now that you explain exactly where she's coming from, that makes a lot of sense. So I agree with you. I think it is sound advice. I was initially put off by it. So as a bookworm who is faithful to reading a book from beginning to end, I felt like this article gave me a little bit of liberty and a little bit of freedom to understand that I don't have to finish every book that I start. If it's not something that's going to enrich my life or give me some knowledge that I don't already possess. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And and what what is her name? Uh, The blog is called Modern Mrs. Darcy. Oh, she doesn't have a name. She does. I don't know. Does she write under a pseudonym? She just might. Her name is Anne. Oh, okay. Well, I think I agree with you, Anne. Now I'm recalling, and I may have mentioned this in the past, and if I have, well, you're going to hear it again, listener. Uh, years ago, as a early teen, I started reading Robinson Crusoe. I could not do it. I don't know what it was at that time. I just couldn't do it. And then a couple of years later, I picked it up and absolutely loved it. Now that is one of my favorite classics. Because you found the right book at the right time. Yeah. And at that time, it wasn't the right book for you. Yeah, so... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I have a little bit of a a riddle for you. Oh, dear. Okay. And uh, this is kind of a a twofer here. This is kind of an appetizer and a tip in in one. I'm going to talk about a a tree or trees inside of a tree. Excuse me? Yes. Does that make any sense? No. Well, let me explain this to you. There is a lady in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho... Okay. Who had a 110-year-old cottonwood tree in her front yard. And she doesn't explain exactly why, but they had to cut it down. Um, and this huge stump was left in her front yard. Well, they didn't take it all the way down to the ground. They left it, you know, it's probably a good six or eight feet of the stump there. Oh, okay. And she decided she's going to hollow it out and... Turned it into a free library. What? Yes. And of course, she is a librarian. Of course. A former bookbinder as well. And of course, she's a book lover. And so 
she has all these books inside of this tree stump. It's a 110-year-old cottonwood tree and turned it into a free library. And we've talked about free libraries before where you can go and just exchange books. You don't have to have them. It's like our favorite topic. Yeah, yeah. I just thought this is the coolest idea. Now, you've got to check out the pictures. There's a link in the show notes. Go look at these photos. This thing is absolutely amazing. It's got electricity. It's got lights. Oh, my It is just the neatest looking thing. Oh, I'm moving to Idaho. So there you go. Trees inside of a tree. Dead trees inside of a tree stump. Well, it's basically like the circle of life right there. Yeah. (laughs) It's just come full circle. That is brilliant. And how very thoughtful. What a neat idea. Yeah. And And it looks like a little hobbit house. It kind of does. Yeah. And the cool thing is that the trim above the door, she's carved in little miniature books with uh, like book covers on, on the trim of the of the door into the library. I mean, it's kind of, it looks like from the photos, a, a full-size door yeah. to your home. But it's it's just super cool. I thought it was a fantastic idea. And here's where the tip part comes in uh, because it was done in conjunction with the, the, the nonprofit organization that kind of sets up this thing and kind of networks these free libraries across. I don't know if it's international, but it's a, it probably is. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't researched that much, but it's called Little Free Library. It's a nonprofit organization. And... If you want to start your own, you just head over there to littlefreelibrary.org and they have all the instructions and just tips on how to get started and stuff like that. So it's really, really cool. I feel like Bookworm Banquet should do that. I know. We totally need to. We should. We should We totally just got to figure out a good location. I think I can think of a few. All right. Well, who knows? You might hear about it on a future episode where the Bookworm Banquet Free Library is. Stay tuned. <laughs> exactly. So this is just one of my favorite things, and I could not resist talking about it. Don't forget that today's episode is brought to you by Adagio Teas. Adagio is the premier online source for loose-leaf teas of all kind. There you can find green, black, white, chai, etc., all types of loose-leaf teas. Try the official tea of this podcast, the Bookworm Banquet Blend. I promise you will not regret it. Stay tuned to find out how you can get a $5 coupon towards your first purchase. And before we jump into the Indie Spotlight, I just wanted to real quickly mention that I have four brand new books from Ted Decker. Ted Decker and his daughter, Kara, uh, co-wrote a new children's series. It's called the Dream Traveler's Quest series. And as I said, there's four volumes and it goes back into the Circle universe, but this is for kids. Now, of course, some people might classify the original Circle trilogy as YA or something. It's not like super dense. I mean, a lot of fantasy is in general categorized as YA, but this is intended for young readers. I think Target is like 7 to 11 or 7 to 12, something like that. So the first book is called Into the Book of Light, and then we have The Curse of Shadow Man, The Garden and the Serpent, and The Final Judgment. So I have not read these yet, but be looking on the blog for a review on these books. So If you want to wait and find out what we think about them, you can, or there's a link in the show notes if you want to go check them out. They're not traditionally published. He went the self-published route with this series, which is I thought was pretty interesting. That is very interesting. Um, And they're only available directly from Ted's website. Huh. So, anyway. Well, they look really good. Yeah. they We're going back into the Circle universe, and that's just one of my favorite things. It's like your favorite universe. It, It is, yeah. So, I just thought that's... Definitely something worth mentioning, and if you're interested, again, link is in the show notes to go check those out. So I actually just finished the second book of 
Beyond the Circle, which is Ted's newest foray into the Circle universe. It's the 49th Mystic and then Rise of the Mystics. And it's amazing the way it wraps up, the way it ends and everything. Comes full circle. You could say that. <laughs> you could say that. And, and as I mentioned in our review of the 49th Mystic, there were a few theological things that I didn't quite agree with uh, with this series. He seems to be taking things in a little bit different direction than he did in the previous uh, Circle books. But because of the story and because of where it's set, I still really, really enjoyed them. So there will be a review of those books on the blog very soon as well. Well, for our Indie Spotlight today, it's a little bit different. This is on a short story, so this is not going to be a full in-depth review because you can't really do that with a short story because it's short. So we're going to be short. (laughs) Not in stature. Well, some of us. (laughs) (laughs) So the short story is called Even in the Gray, and it's by Laura Gonneau. And it's only about 45 pages long. It's only available on Kindle, and it was published last year, 2018. And here is Laura to tell us a little bit about her story. Hi, I'm Laura Gonneau, author of a short story entitled Even in the Gray. I'm an all-out coffee enthusiast, cat lover, and an avid writer of historical fiction. In the rare moments when I'm not engrossed in my latest writing projects, you can find me reading, blogging, or spending time with my family. I believe the things that happened in the past play an essential role in the things we do today. That's why I love writing historical fiction. My short work, Even in the Gray, is set during a crucial time in history where the choices men and women made affected their lives and the lives around them. The theme of my book is forgiveness and how it can set people free. Want to know more about my historical fiction work, even in the gray? Here's a book teaser. In the midst of a world war, on a cold winter night, Daniel Rogers, a young American soldier, harbors bitterness against the man who ruined his life. Memories torment him, and he can't seem to forget the past. How can a horrible train accident, a pretty French artist, an unplanned reunion, and a pocket full of crayons help him see through his dark world and into the light of forgiveness? And you can find out more about Laura at her website, beautifulthingsbylaura.com. So um, as we mentioned, this is a short story, and she does have a novel, full-length novel, in the works. And so that will be coming out, she says, in the fall or winter of 2019. But this short story, as she said, it's set in uh, World War II. You're observing this story from the perspective of this soldier, and I thought he was an interesting character. I, for one, I love stories set in World War II era. Something about that era of history I've always found interesting. The story begins on Christmas Eve of 1944. And again, it's a short work. It doesn't take very long to read. I thought there were some interesting things about it. The characters were interesting. I do think they could have been fleshed out a little bit more, a little bit more depth. But that is kind of hard to do in a short work. But um, Daniel Rogers is the main character, and then we have this French artist. Her name is Claire. So she's also an interesting character. And there were um, some elements that were a little bit predictable, kind of saw where, where things were going. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a sweet story. And I think that this is probably an author that we can watch and see where things take her. Um, you know, she's been working on writing projects for many years. And she's got something else coming down the road. So 
you know, we like to we like to highlight up and coming uh, artists, and so I think it's uh, worth checking out. What do you think, Nicole? I think that it's an honor for Bookworm Banquet to be able to spotlight the indie authors. I know that it's hard to get published and it's hard to get your work out there, so it's always an honor for us to be able to spotlight these up-and-coming writers that show such incredible talent. And Laura gives a really good description in her um, outline of what her book is Mm -hmm. really about. She makes that comment that it is about forgiveness. And for a very short story, like you already pointed out, she doesn't have enough time to really flesh out the characters, but you get enough sense of them and their past to understand where they are when you jump right into the middle of this story. It's an already... It's a story that's already in progression. Mm-hmm. Things have already happened. You're kind of like jump right into the middle. And then you get very quickly to the end of, you know, kind of this redemptive part. Um, it makes me think, she kind of notes uh, the crayons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember reading, I think it was a pin on Pinterest that said broken crayons still color. Oh. And I think that if I had to describe this book in one phrase, that's how I would describe it. Broken crayons still color. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, that's so, perfect. It fits perfectly. All the characters are broken in some way. Yeah. But by the end of the story, they can still live a life and they still have a reason and they can still color their world in positive ways. Yeah. And so not, like I said, it's a very short story. I don't want to give a lot of it away. Right. Yeah. There's not a whole lot you can really yeah. say about it without... But go into it knowing that this is an emotionally driven story. Yeah, You're that's going true. To, it's going to kind of be... It's very quick. It's very intense. And it's going to get to the point very quickly, and then it's going to end very quickly. And I believe she said this was written for a contest, so there Mm -hmm. may have been some kind of word count limitation or something. I don't know the parameters of that contest, so that may have had something to do with the length of it. I don't know. Well, for the very short length, it definitely has a resolution. Yeah. So she takes you, like I said, you kind of jump into the middle of it, but then it is resolved, and you don't feel like you... You missed out on the part of the story that really doesn't have an opportunity to be fully told. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And that cover is really great. I thought the the book cover is really, really well done. Well, it's just not to tell anybody what the cover looks like. So you need to go look for yourself. But it is very symbolic of what the story is yeah. genuinely about. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing. <laughs> I remember sending you a picture. I don't remember if I sent you on Slack or something of of an indie published book. And I said, this has got to be one of the worst covers I've ever seen. The cover really does mean something in books. It does. I have never bought into the don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, And I know that in essence, that is true, but we all do it. Yeah, of course. I do it. Yeah. Bookworm Confessions. Exactly. There we go. (laughs) Is that a new segment? (laughs) (laughs) We should. Confessions of a bookworm. I like it. Yeah. I mean, when I saw the cover, that's originally what grabbed my attention. So Yeah, it's very unique. I did like that. So that is Laura Gano's Even in the Gray. And just a little bit about what she's working on now. She's got a full novel that's coming in. She's in the research stage right now. It's going to be called, or who knows, you know, things can change. Uh, but it's called To Have the Courage, and it's set during the 1690s in a small Massachusetts settlement. And it's the story of a young man named Isaac Bradley who's taken captive by some natives. So, And it's based on a true story. So that sounds really interesting. Again, if you want to find out more about Laura, there's a link in the show notes to her website and to this short story. It's only available on Kindle. But again, that is uh, beautifulthingsbylaura.com. And this story is called Even in the Gray. Please do check it out and let's support our indie authors. 
And again, today's episode is brought to you by Adagio Teas, and Adagio is the premier source for loose leaf teas on the entire internet. The yeah. entire internet. Seriously? Yes. The whole internet? The entire world wide web. They have black, green, chai, herbal blends, or you can create your own custom blend, which I think is really cool. And there is a ton of custom blends on there, not just the Bookworm Banquet blend, although you should try that one. Because it is the best. There is a ton of bookwormy type uh, teas on there, like some created after um, famous book series like Narnia or other things like that. So you should check out Adagio if you haven't already. And if you haven't, we can give you a $5 coupon towards your first purchase. All you have to do is send an email to feedback at bookwormbanquet.com and just put the word T in the subject line. Don't even have to write anything. I mean, how easy is that? Come on. We'll email your coupon to you. Tidbits about authors, their lives, and their work. It's Nicole's Bookworm Fact. Today's Bookworm Fact is about pseudonyms. I don't know how many of our audience are aware that a lot of our famous female authors of the 18th and 19th century had to write under pseudonyms. In fact, this is a concept that has actually played into today's authorship as well. So part of the reason that some of these authors that are pretty famous, you know them as female authors, when they initially published their books had to actually publish under male pseudonyms, Mm -hmm. or their writing wouldn't, number one, be published, or it wouldn't be read because it was actually published by a female, or it would just simply not be taken seriously. So a lot of very famous authors initially published their works under Uh, male pseudonyms to the point that even publishers didn't know that they were females writing the books. They would just mail in their manuscripts under a male name and the publisher would have no idea that was actually a female. So So how did the the transaction work back then? Did they just pay them in cash or something? Like they didn't have to write a check? It was just all through the mail and they just sent the money back and forth. Because then, you know, you didn't have like DBAs. So you couldn't like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to write this check out to Jack, whoever, you know, and it's actually Jane Smith, you know. Yeah, exactly. Huh, interesting. I want to start with probably the most famous of the pseudonyms was actually the Bronte sisters. The Bronte sisters, Charlotte, Emily, and Anne Bronte, known for their very famous works, Jane Mm -hmm. Eyre, Wuthering Heights, and Agnes Gray. They wrote under the surname Bell, with Charlotte going by the name Kerr Bell, her um, Emily going by the name Ellis Bell, and Anne going by the name Anton Bell. And so all three of them wrote under the same surname, but they used different uh, first names, but all coinciding with their actual first letter of their actual names. Uh, And so they did that for a long time before they actually felt that their writing could be accepted under their female names. The next author is actually very famous. You actually know her as Louisa May Alcott, Mm -hmm. writer of Little Women. But did you ever read Little Women? A long, long time ago. So... The main character, Joe, was known for writing very fanciful gothic romances. Mm-hmm. Well, in actuality, uh, Louisa May Alcott also wrote gothic romances, and she wrote them under the male pseudonym A.M. Bernard. Okay. And they were actually discovered in the 1940s by two librarian women who were rare book dealers, and they found her writings under A.M. Bernard and were able to prove it was Louisa May Alcott. And she'd been writing... Um, all that time, well, not in the 1940s, but back in the day, under that male pseudonym, and nobody knew until the 1940s that it was actually her. Hmm. So 
Another woman was... Um, well, before you move on, I just want to toss in a quick plug for Victoria Lynn's Forgotten Treasures series because oh. she just did one on Louisa May Alcott and it has a ton of the books, some of them that I haven't read yet. So if you want to learn more about her, definitely check that out. There's a link in the show notes to that as well. Yeah, please do because that's such a fascinating part of the blog. The next one, I'm going to totally butcher this name. Okay. Her pen name was so much easier. She wrote under the name George Sand. How easy is that? But her actual given name was Amantine Lucille Aurora Dupine. Okay. She was um, a Parisian author, but she writes under the name George Sand. I've actually never read anything by her, but she was known for um, being a very critically acclaimed French writer. The next one I find very fascinating, though. Um, you know the writer as George Eliot. Yeah. Author of Silas Marner, Middlemarch. Um, in fact, Middlemarch is considered to be one of the greatest novels ever written. And it wasn't until years after it had been so critically acclaimed that they discovered that George Eliot was actually Mary Ann Evans, who was a female author. And her book, Middlemarch, was so well known and accepted by them that when they found it was a female author, it was like, okay, whatever. We're just going <laughs> to... She's so good. We'll just leave it at that. Anyway, there is a link in the show notes to a list of 12 authors um, a lot of them old authors, but I do want to bring up one more that is actually a modern day author. Okay. Very, very famous, very prolific. But when she published her book, it was toward a young male audience and her publisher was convinced that they wouldn't get the young male author or readers that they wanted. So they wanted her to publish her books under her initials rather than her name. So she published under J.K. Rowling. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that before because I know she has written other stuff under a completely different name yes, as well. she has. She's written under another male pseudonym. Right. But yeah, but that's the whole reason why she used her initials. So the original editions didn't like have an author bio or anything like that on there? That's nope, interesting. it's J.K. Rowling. I bet you those are worth some money. You think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And it's really a shame because that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, yeah. oh, it's, it's a woman, so we can't take it seriously. That's just stupid, but... There you have Old-timey it. They got, you know what? They got, <laughs> we've learned a lot. <laughs> but they got their writings out there one way or another. Yeah. It's very interesting how very critically acclaimed. In fact, you know when Jane Austen started writing, she wrote under the um, pseudonym A Lady. She wanted them to know that it was a female writing, but she didn't give her name. Hmm. So for years and years, she just published her books under A Lady. Well, that reminds me of another author from, I think it's the 1700s. I, right now, I'm completely blanking on what her real name was, but she published everything under A-L-O-E, which stood for A Lady of England. Oh. But it was just those four letters. Some people didn't know what it really meant uh, until Sneaky. later it was revealed. Yeah. That's yep. interesting. And those are really good, really good stories, classic uh, books that actually uh, Lamplighter Publishing publishes a lot of her stuff. So oh, interesting. Okay. Great topic. You always uh, sneak in a good one here and there. No, <laughs> oh, wow, here and there. Well, let's talk about your tips. <laughs> let's talk about my yes, tips. let's do. Random recommendations for readers. Here's JD's bookworm tip. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it is uh, just a resource for bookworm items. You know, a shop that you can check out some really cool stuff. It's called ideal bookshelf and the website is idealbookshelf.com they've just got all sorts of stuff mugs and pins and book totes and all kinds of cool little things uh, just for the bookworm in your life if you want to give gifts 
or if you just want to treat yourself, there's just some really cool stuff on here. So idealbookshelf.com is my tip for this episode. It's a short and sweet one. That's how we like them. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Well, we received a message from Garrett, and he was referencing something that we talked about in a previous episode. And he said, you talked about the perfect word for when you get to the end of a story and you're so engrossed in the story that it's like you're sad that it's over, but you're happy to be a part of it. So do you remember when we were talking about that? We were trying to think of how to put that into words. I mean, it is sort of like bittersweet, but it's not, it doesn't really fit. Yeah. You're just sad that it ended and you wished it could go on, but you're also happy you read it. Yeah. Yeah. So he says he has a possible term suggestion. How about a positive reading slump? Okay. I like that. And so he said he took that based on some posts by another indie author, Kate Willis, her Mm. blog. Uh, She blogs at, I love the, the title of her site. It's Once Upon an Ordinary. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So her her website is onceuponanordinary.wordpress.com. She had a post talking about four books that will induce a reading slump. And so she's talking about these books that when she read them, they were just so good that she just wanted to basically savor them for a while before jumping into the next book. And so she talks about inducing a reading slump intentionally. So so he took that term and basically added the the positive because that can be a negative connotation as well, being in a reading slump. So I thought that was interesting. So he says it's basically your mind is so consumed with a book that you have to take a break from reading anything else for a while, similar to a, a negative reading slump that you may be familiar with, but instead this is the positive version. So um, thank you, Garrett, for the, that feedback. I The funny thing is I read that post that Kate wrote but I never drew the connection to what we had talked two. about on the podcast. So good thing we have listeners that do that kind of stuff for us. Thank you, Garrett. <laughs> so thank you very much, Garrett. We really appreciate the feedback. And if you would like to get in touch with us, there are several different ways to do that. First of all, email, good old standard email, feedback at bookwormbanquet.com. Or if you're old school, you can always call or text our line, 623-688-2770. And show notes for everything we talked about with links, and you definitely want to check them out this time. You want to check them out all the time, but especially this one, because you got to want to see those photos of the tree stump library. I mean, that is the coolest. Yes. Bookwormbreakwit.com slash 23. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Deezer now, so for all of you out there who are Deezer users, Bookworm Banquet is on the Deezer app now. Yay! Bookworm Banquet is a production of Porchlight Family Media. Our theme music was composed by Sam Avendano, bumper music by John DeLay and the 41 Players. Our announcer is Janessa Cooper. The program is produced by J.D. Sutter with editing and post-production by Christopher Green. Our website is bookwormbanquet.com. Porchlight Family Media. Your source for family-centered content. PorchlightFamilyMedia.com